Augmented reveals the stories behind a new era of industrial operations where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. In episode 9 of the podcast, the topic is the fourth industrial revolution post-COVID-19. Our guest is Francisco Betti, head of advanced manufacturing and production at the World Economic Forum. In this conversation, we talk about why he got into manufacturing and how the World Economic Forum works. We discuss how the forum has changed over these past five years and how manufacturing has become the lead topic among the global elite. The manufacturing platform is now arguably the primary among 17 flagship initiatives at the World Economic Forum. We go deeply into the changing business models of manufacturing and what the next decade holds. Augmented is a podcast for leaders, hosted by futurist Trun Arne Unheim, presented by Tulip.co, the manufacturing app platform, and associated with MFG.works, the manufacturing upskilling community launched at the World Economic Forum. Each episode dives deep into a contemporary topic of concern across the industry and airs at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time every Wednesday. Augmented, the Industry 4.0 podcast. Francisco, it's great to have you here. Excellent. Well, thank you for hosting me, Tron. Well, Francisco, you are an international development professional. You are now working for the World Economic Forum. Uh, and I meet you regularly because you support an enormous amount of activity there uh, in manufacturing. But I wanted to bring us back a little bit to, to your sort of origin. I know you went to the Sapienza University in Rome, studied international relations, uh, and then worked a little bit in consulting. What was it that got you uh, interested in manufacturing? Because it's a path that I always have to ask people about. It's not the obvious path today, but perhaps it would be the obvious path tomorrow, which we'll get to. Uh, but I'm curious about your your way. It's a, it's a great question, Tron. And indeed, I, I have a background in international development relations, economic development as well, and I had a, a, a past career in, in, in consulting. Uh, how did I start focusing on manufacturing? It was at the World Economic Forum back in 2015, actually when I joined the forum, that we realized there was a need to launch a new piece of work, a new conversation on the future of production, on the future of manufacturing. And we started at the time working on a very small concept that was pretty much oriented on the towards the policy angle, which is why there there you get the connection with the, the international development space. At that time, we were in conversations with a few governments who were who were not yet aware of this concept of the fourth industrial revolution, but that who started to see coming a wave of transformations that they knew were going to disrupt their manufacturing base and, and have an impact on their manufacturing base. And therefore, we, we started a conversation with prime ministers, with ministers of industry, that then led to put together a project concept that evolved over time, and today is one of the 17 global platforms and initiatives that the World Economic Forum is running and that I lead on the future of advanced manufacturing and production. Today, we were both with, at, at the very beginning, we started focusing pretty much on the policy angle. Today, it's a real public-private platform where both companies and governments are looking at where the actions that need to be taken to shape a future of production that works for all. Francisco, it's a fascinating journey for you, but it's also an incredibly fascinating journey for the for the field of manufacturing and and I wanted to address a little bit how manufacturing 
as a platform became kind of one of the 17 flagship initiatives. And, and by that, you know, how the World Economic Forum itself has changed over these past few years. And then lastly, you know, the last year has meant enormous change with, with preparation around COVID. And, and again, manufacturing has been kind of escalated into this uh, enormous importance. Uh, and I would imagine that your development background has come in handy because the kinds of issues that suddenly became foreground were a little unusual, I guess, for, for manufacturing as well. Um, so, for, so firstly, what has happened at the World Economic Forum over these years that has sort of catapulted manufacturing into this prominence? What I think is that in, in, the, in the conversations with our private sector community, but also with the, the public sector, that, that we realized that there was an urgent need for a public-private dialogue to be brought back on top of the agenda. You know, we, we all know what happened with COVID, right? The, the disruptions that we saw uh, in manufacturing, I think, made us realize, you know, that when, when things go wrong in manufacturing, you know, you, you run out of, of essential uh, products, not even talking about the protective equipment, you know, ventilators and all the things that were, were most need because of the public crisis. But even basic supplies such as food or toilet paper became became an issue and people start talking about those. So I think that there was, let's say that there was a... a a realization that that manufacturing still plays a major role in our global economies and society, uh, and that's and that's something that is that is quite exciting and interesting. But you need to look a couple of years back, and I think that is that you know if you look at the pre-COVID world, and you and you start thinking about how different mega trends were were shaping the world, that that you also realize why manufacturing came back and became an important issue on top of the global agenda for our both private and public sector uh, communities. And, and what I'm talking about is the, the combination of mainly probably three or four megatrends, but it's, it's the fourth industrial revolution, which is a concept that our executive chairman launched back in 2017, mainly referring to the, the blur, blurring lines in between the OT and IT world that are transforming not just how our companies operate, but probably you know, who we are and what we do as human beings. So it was the concept of the fourth industrial revolution together with uh, climate change, the imperative for sustainability, with the geopolitical trends and tensions that we saw over the past four to five years. And of course, you know, all things that relate to, to the geoeconomic evolution, right, in which you can add elements such as aging population or, or the slowing of the global economy. But it's all those trends and combinations that made people realize the importance of manufacturing and that brought it back onto the global agenda. So it's been, it's been a fascinating journey. I mean, it's been, there, there's, there's been plenty of discussions which would trend from the technology angle and how technology can transform manufacturing for the good and what's the positive impact it have in society. And most recently, about the role that manufacturing can play in the context of, the, of you know, this, this concept of stakeholder capitalism and the need to create value, a new value that is delivered not just to shareholders, but to shareholders, workers, society, and the environment overall. It's fascinating because many of these concepts to some of us are, are fairly abstract still because like stakeholder capitalism, unless you truly are in this battle or you, you either were you know, fighting for it to, to even emerge or you are at the sea level and you're basically kind of being tasked with figuring out what this concept is going to translate into, 
but but it seems to me that what you're saying that with manufacturing uh, becoming such a, a forefront of of sort of ma- many battles uh, in society this is not theoretical anymore and it's something that all, all people can relate to whether you are on the factory floor you sort of implementing your OT as you said your you know operational technology or you are you know at the leadership level and and trying to strategize about what this means for the organization as a whole. And, and Tron, you, you're absolutely right. Manufacturing is exactly what change is happening today. I mean, we are hearing on a daily basis, global companies making commitments towards the SDGs with towards the concept of stakeholder capitalists, you know, setting very ambitious targets, you know, by 2025, 2030, getting CO2 emissions. I mean, the only place in which we are seeing that happening now, it's in manufacturing. Manufacturing is changing a speed. I mean, when you double click on how digital technologies, digital solutions, advanced manufacturing, industry 4.0, it's transforming the world of operations, driving massive efficiencies, a productivity revolutions, driving growth, and at the same time, augmenting workers, contributing towards the sustainability targets by cutting, you know, energy consumption, water consumption, material consumption, optimizing waste management. I think that that's that's when when you when you realize that you know it's probably in the in the real economy space in the manufacturing space, with all those commitments are starting to come to life and that we are seeing real change and real action. It's it's extremely exciting. Yeah, and it's also an interesting time because you know without getting into the politics of this, you know there there clearly is a bit of an outcry because of the success of technology in other fields, right? You know, social platforms and other, you know, other digital advances that we have made have created sort of uh, both an enormous opportunity, which of course explains why so many things can be achieved in manufacturing, but they were about to run awry a little bit in the sense that they, they, they weren't or aren't still contributing to the global good you know, in the direct sense that the manufacturing industry, of course, is primed to do, but for so many years was not. It still boggles my mind, though, that we are having these conversations at the forum. These uh, conversations are happening, but I don't think that everybody is fully aware of how far manufacturing is about to change and emerge on the on the world stage give us a little bit of a sense before we we get into kind of the meat uh, and i want to talk about sort of business model changes in the industry but what do you think is needed for the greater public and by that i mean young people older people to realize that manufacturing is actually where things are happening today what does it take to see it well, I think that it, it's a great question, Tron. And I think that one of the, we probably need to start by asking, what can manufacturers do to get closer to the general public? And, you know, things like open up facilities so that people can see what, what a factory, you know, not of the future, but a factory of today look like. And how do you know shop floor operators are interacting with new software technologies, new interfaces, how the world of advanced robotics. I mean, we even we are even seeing drones flying within facilities to do inspection, right? The, 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 the level of techno the, the level of technological transformation and the pace at which it is happening within manufacturing facilities, it's it's amazing. And and you know, if you link that to the jobs conversation and you know how that connects with new generations, I think that 
uh, I'm sure that, you know, younger generations will get very excited if they have a chance to see. So I think that there, there's any, you know, manufacturing has been traditionally, and, and because that's, that's the role that it used to play, you know, always behind the scenes, right? I think that we do have an opportunity for manufacturers to start showing to the general public, you know, what it is and what it really looks like and how exciting it is. And also the contribution it makes. I mean, we cannot have a lot of the things that we enjoy today in life, you know, could not be enjoyed if there wasn't a factory, if there wasn't a facility, if there wasn't an entire supply chain behind it. So, so yes, I, I think that there's, you know, I, there's something that the manufacturing community can do better, which is to talk more about the things that, that are happening in manufacturing in a very transparent and open way. And that's one of the things that we are doing at the forum, you know, is providing that platform to interact with the, with the general public. Um, I just wanted to um, to point out that again, you know, these are sensitive things. But the forum, for a long time, was just the way it was set up. It was a conversation between leaders. But I have seen over the last few years that more and more you realize, or, or you know, maybe explain it to me, that it's more than a conversation between leaders. Clearly, this conversation is more important than ever. But in addition to a conversation between leaders. You and and the industry needs to foster a conversation with small and medium sized enterprises, and as you pointed out, actually with the greater public, because the the battle here is, is kind of of a battle of uh, a battle of interpretation. You know, is this an interesting space to be in? And if so, we all need to innovate within this space. Um, that must be challenging for a network that was basically mostly set up to dialogue with leaders. I wanted you to talk a little and begin kind of this uh, discussion because I know you have written a paper on changing business models. But at, at the same time as you're writing this paper, the forum is almost having to change its own business model. So I want you to, to kind of address that just because business models is such an abstract thing. So I wanted you to personalize it a little bit as you kind of explaining what business models mean in manufacturing these days. Absolutely. And I think that we, we are all, we are all transforming ourselves at speed within the, the current context. It's either, you know, it's very transform, innovate on, or, or die nowadays. But I think that that, I mean, and, and that happened to, to every organization disregarding the space in which they, they operate. Maybe on, on your, on the first part of your question, I think that 50 years ago or 51, when the forum was founded by the World Executive Chairman, Professor Klaus Schaub, eh, of course, the main role was to, to convene leaders. But then over time, we evolved and became a, an international organization for public-private cooperation in which dialogue is just an important component of what we do. What really happens at the forum is the formation of communities that are able to drive action and impact over time. Now, of course, uh, you know, in the context of the current pandemics is how do you bring leaders together and how do you orchestrate and incubate those actions that will deliver impact uh, became a challenge, but you know, it forced us to adopt digital technologies at a pace that, that, that we didn't thought we could. You know, we, we were doing that before, but, but, but COVID played a major accelerator role. And, uh, I'll give you an example to make it tangible. You know, you, you, you hear about our initiative, which we call the, the Global Lighthouse Network that we are deploying together with, with McKinsey and, and other colleagues. And, what was fascinating is that we had a process in place through which we were physically assessing the facilities. Now, as soon as the COVID 
a crisis started, we were you know, forced to change the approach. And we ended up coming up with a process to run virtual remote visits. And we realized the technology was ready. You know, by shipping a simple kit in which you have a phone stabilizer, some, you know, a headset with a canceling noise effect and a few other very basic technologies, you could almost get to the same product that you get getting when visiting the facilities in person. So we, we reorganize ourselves and, and what I'm very proud of is that if you look at how we have been running some of our key gatherings, but also some of the initiatives that are having a real impact on the ground, we were able to triple the pace on which we were operating. So, and, and we have seen the same happening in the manufacturing space. To connect that with your second part of the question, which is how are business models and operating models evolving? I think that, that during, the, during the crisis, I mean, because of the, the shortages on the supply or disruptions on the, on the demand side, Every company in the operations in the manufacturing space was facing new challenges, which forced them to take innovations to, to new and unprecedented levels. Now, what we saw, it's in a very short period of time, new ways of generating and delivering value coming up. When I say generating, I'm referring to the operating model. The operating model in the way in which we defined it together with the professors we work for that position paper we referred to. Uh, the operating model is the way in which a new com- a company generates, creates value. Now, the business model is the way in which that value is taken to the customers. It's delivered and then converted into revenues. And someone could say that the innovations, you know, that we started to see accelerating at speed probably were of three or four main types. I mean, the, the first one is that we saw companies finding new innovative ways to make the products they were making before, right? So a lot of innovations, the way in which they were operating, you know, finding new sources of supply, but also adopting technology to take those products to the new level. And very often, finding that those products could be made even better because of the, the innovations that were injected. The second relating to that was the emergence of new products. So companies started to repurpose and reposition manufacturing to, de- to be able to deliver new goods that were in high demand. I mean, the most obvious example there is the companies who started to made from, from mask and a, a, any type of surgical equipment to ventilator or hand sanitizer, right? But that, but that, what those shows and proof is that, you know, quite rapidly with the right level of technology and innovation, you can, you can repurpose and you can turn into a manufacturer of something different, which can generate again new value, linking that to the business model. Now, the, the third type is, this idea of topping up products with services. So this is creating a digital thread across your entire value chain to be able to generate new value and deliver new value to the customers, not just by the hardware that, that companies or the physical products that companies were selling, but by topping them up with new services, you know, being able to get data all the way from the customers to continue improve performance and augment the, the experience that customers were getting. And then the fourth one, and that, that is, that it's a very exciting one is the as a service concept. We have seen many manufacturing companies that were able to rapidly sort out operational and business issues for themselves and became services providers. Now, if you look at those four things, what I believe is exciting is that someone could argue that manufacturing, it's again at the age of becoming a new engine of economic growth. I mean, there's a lot of growth that is going to come for all, from all these innovations that we're seeing accelerating and, and who are, let's say, sparked and emerging from manufacturing. 
Uh, and at the same time, because of what we discussed before, we have the opportunity to make that world's growth more sustainable, inclusive, and make sure it works for a larger number of stakeholders. So that, that's what makes it very, very exciting. And maybe the final sort on that is that because, because of the connection with business models, because of the ability to enable growth, manufacturing is today, again, a CEO conversation. We are seeing more and more CEOs, you know, getting closer to the operation or the other way to look at it. We are seeing more and more chief operating or chief supply chain officers who are either stepping into the CEO role or will likely become the next generation CEO for their companies. Francisco, this is fascinating because it almost brings us historically back to the heydays of manufacturing. And, you know, manufacturing has always been at the heart of every industrial revolution. And I think when Klaus Schwab first wrote about the fourth industrial revolution, I don't know that everyone really accepted it because it sounds nice, right? And it would be nice if it was happening. And, you know, arguably you're looking at these technologies, you're saying there, there has to be a revolution. But, but, you know, back, back in the day when, when that was written and the sort of the precursors of this discussion, in all honesty, there was perhaps no revolution yet, right? Because there were platform technologies that were available, but you would still have to implement them. Uh, but what you're talking about now is how it, it is basically over the last very few years becoming implemented into not just large, but also smaller organizations and then creating new ones. But to, to address the, the first part of what you were saying about these uh, larger firms, so these kind of superstar firms, I believe you call them in, in your report, there is a value there as well in an economy to have superstar firms that are actually creating value. There's, of course, less value to a society to have superstar firms that are only creating value for themselves. So that's a, an important distinction to make. But I wanted to bring this a little bit into kind of the discussion on education. I was reading the other day about, you know, in the olden days when the, uh, the Prussia basically recreated the modern education system, it mm. was largely factory owners who were supporting that even economically and in terms of the pedagogical models. And I was reminded that it is almost a similar challenge we're facing today, right? Because it's, it's a, a quite an education challenge on, on, on all levels. I wanted to ask you, how, how do you see this happening? How is this shift truly going to take place? Because now the technologies are starting to be put in place. How is the world's worker base going to benefit from this fast enough? How are we going to reshape the education system? Surely we can't put them in four-year colleges. And if we start to, you know, reframe the gymnasium, which was the strategy back 250 years ago, that again is a nice strategy, you know, if you're talking in decades. But this industrial revolution isn't happening over decades. It's happening over years and months. Yeah. Maybe uh, uh, there are we, we can we can break the I think it's it's a very important piece of the of the bigger puzzle right and 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 you cannot talk about the future of manufacturing without talking about the future of of skills uh, and and the, the pretty much skills revolution that is needed because we know that today there's there is a skill shortage in manufacturing whatever you go in the world you know that that is happening and and not because there are probably not enough hands available. But because the people who are coming out of universities, you know, do not have the required skills or out of college, do not have the required skills that are needed on the, on the shop floor 
uh, or across your, your engineering base. And um, maybe to, to break it down, I think that there's, I, I, I could share three, three different avenues that, 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 that companies and governments are exploring. I mean, the first one is rethinking the way in which companies, universities and colleges and, and governments interact. I think that the concept of, you know, you get a college degree or a university degree and then you are all set for life. Uh, it's, it's outdated. We will need, if you look at the pace at which technology is evolving and, and at which factories and supply chains are being transformed, we will need to find new mechanisms in which people who work in manufacturing you know, will, will and should be able to continuously go back and forth in between formation, training, you know, technology updates and the shop floor and the supply chain. I think that's, that's the very first things that companies are starting to, to think at. And there are, there are interesting pilots that are being deployed in many places with new partnerships, you know, forming between a specific university and, and a specific company in a specific location or, you know, people who are, or companies who are investing in training, you know, students in a specific college, you know, by giving them the chance to, at the very early stages, get an experience on the shop floor. So that's probably the first, the first basket of, um, of change that we need to see, to see happening. The second one, it's maybe around the, the skills needs. I mean, if technology is, you know, growing and developing exponentially, and I'm talking about technology, not in general, but technology applied to address, you know, very specific production or business issues in the, in the manufacturing space, right? And to be able to develop new use cases. But if that is changing and, and continues changing and, and the, and the pace at which it's changing, uh, we will need to find mechanisms to constantly monitor and identify the skills that we need to be training people on. And, and, you know, how often a college curriculum or, or university, you know, curriculum gets updated. I mean, not often enough. So we should create a new dialogue in between those who provide the training and those who have this, this, who are able to identify the skills needs to go into an, a con- continuous let's say, update and, and upgrade process there as well. And the third one, which is the most exciting, is that we probably need to think about how do we democratize training in manufacturing? And the, the best analogy there, uh, you know, h- how much training did you get to learn how to use the apps that you have on your mobile phone? No, right? And you get a new app, you just download a new application that you need, whether it's for navigating you know, a city or learning a new language or whatever. And, you know, after half an hour, you, you are ready to go. So I think that, that there's a lot that can be democratized when it comes to training manufacturing is we leverage technology, not just to transform production, but also to transform the way in which people interact in a factory. So this concept of new interfaces, um, and, and also the fact that we, you know, we need to think about technology, not, not as a given. But as something that we can influence and that we can tailor and that we can put, you know, the concept of the series that you are running is, you know, the, the augmented, uh, you use the word augmented. I think that we can leverage technology today and we weren't able to do that a few years ago, but we can leverage to augment workers' capabilities. I think that's the secret and that's the path forward to democratize training in manufacturing and learning. And, and that, you know, if we can top up with open source, and we can get companies and, and, you know, in the, in the manufacturing, uh, dot works platform that, that, that you guys are driving. I mean, it's, it's amazing how there are more and more companies getting exciting and willing to make their training modules available. So I think that that's, that's going to be probably the fastest way to reach to the millions of people who, who work in manufacturing today. 
You know, it's fascinating. As you're speaking, I'm reminded that there obviously has to be a link back to business models with, with training, because if this was simply a case of saying, we're going to outsource these to existing universities, or we're going to outsource the training to these new online training providers, and then the problem is solved. First of all, right, the incentive wouldn't be there for industry to completely do that. But also the value created would be isolated to these sort of, uh, you know, to, to, to these other institutions. But I think what you're speaking of is uh, some sort of a new dialogue. And, and there's a combination, though, because open sourcing and demo, uh, democratizing learning, I guess you're not saying that it necessarily forever has to be, you know, free. There's a business model or there are multiple business models that have to be formed around training where there obviously must be incentives for the for those who create that kind of training speak to me a little bit more about the the new emerging platforms in uh, manufacturing and I, I was fascinated about what you said about technology and and interfaces needing to be more intuitive historically that of course hasn't been the case well i'm, I'm arguing let, let's see what you think in manufacturing right if you think about manufacturing technologies they have been fairly complex, or at least they have been perceived as complex. What is needed in, in your mind to structurally change that aspect? Is it almost like mandating that any technology on the shop floor should be that easy? Or, or is it just a mindset change among uh, those who buy the technology? Or is it the technology providers that need to themselves take this more seriously? How can this change happen? It's a it's a great question, Tron, and, and we may be at the very at the very beginning of another little revolution within the manufacturing space itself with this concept of new new platform or, or platform tools that are that are emerging. And and for me the reason is that when when you look at you know some of the data we have, you know, when we consulted about why why companies keep failing when it comes to the deployment of new pilots, you know, or 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 to put it that in a different way, many companies have been developing great pilots and were able to develop a lot of new use cases, but they failed in the implementation phase because there was a pushback from the from the shop floor, right? Or because they were not developing the right way, or it, there were not easy to adopt or not easy enough to adopt. So I think that whichever type of platforms and interfaces that can help create that connection between the technological solution that is going to be deployed on the shop floor and the way in which it will be operationalized and managed on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, can bring huge, huge, huge benefits to the workers, to the shop floor. And I think that something that we keep hearing from companies is that, you know, whenever you give shop floor operations a technology that makes their life easier, there's no way that you can get that technology back. There's no way that you can get that use case, get it out of their, their hands, right? So I think that it's, it's, it's all about, and it links back with the concept of, of democratizing, um, you know, democratizing the access to training, democratizing the access to tool. But there are some challenges. I think that, you know, we, we, th there are things that we need to overcome to take it to, to the next level. So that it connects back to the concept of open source. So for example, you know, there are many interfaces or tools that can be powered by, by AI or, or at least by, but, 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 but big data and, and analytics. Now, the only way to train those algorithms, you know, and, and, and make them super performing is, is by having, you know, a large volume of data sources. Now, 
that's something that is not happening yet because, you know, you still have companies who are not willing to share their data with the, the service provider of a specific platform. But the day we reach that level in which everyone is comfortable share, sharing their data in a certain way, you know, these tools will be taken to a new and unprecedented level. And I think that is going to be a, a must-have. I think that their workers, you know, when you, when you will be hiring or trying to attract talent, you know, if you don't, if you don't have these type of solutions, they may just not be interested in getting the job, right? Or may prefer to go to another uh, manufacturing company who, who does have them. I think that it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating topic. And, and we are at the stage in which we are seeing uh, those solutions being deployed for the first time at scale. So I think that very soon we'll see the results of that and, and, I'm, and it's going to be very exciting. Francisco, these are fascinating developments. I, I hope that I can tap into your expertise several times and, and on a regular basis during this, this podcast. This has been a fascinating discussion and it seems like the gains, even in just a short year, during, uh, or you, I guess we cannot say post-COVID, but it is during COVID that a lot of these changes have been enacted and, and you have had a central place in coordinating the, the global response, I must say. Uh, fan- fascinating developments. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And I think, Tron, the, the next challenge for the manufacturing community, for the global manufacturing community, is to see how we can keep the high-paced innovation that was reached over the, the past couple of months. I think that's going to be the, the greatest next challenge. But thank you very much for for hosting me. A real pleasure. You're welcome. You have just listened to episode 9 of the Augmented Podcast with host Trun Arne Unheim. The topic was the fourth industrial revolution post-COVID-19. Our guest was Francisco Betty, head of advanced manufacturing and production at the World Economic Forum. In this conversation, we talked about why he got into manufacturing and how the World Economic Forum works. We discussed how the forum has changed over these past years and how manufacturing has become the lead topic among the global elite. The manufacturing platform is now arguably the primary among 17 flagship initiatives at the World Economic Forum. We go deeply into the changing business models of manufacturing and what the next decade holds. My takeaway is that manufacturing has escalated in prominence during COVID-19 and for good reason. What we can produce decides what we can become. The deep digitalization gains that society has made over the past few years had to quickly be implemented on the factory floor. Surprisingly, a large part of the industry was ready. But the process now needs to complete and the results will likely be an entirely new production platform for the world. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode four on a renaissance of manufacturing or episode six on the work of the future. Augmented, the Industry 4.0 podcast.